When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Because it's time. It's, it's time for reparation. The only thing I had in common with this character is that she's black. This does not look like me or sound like I'm me. I'm sick of being a side Indian character. It's like, it's a form of cultural imperialism. How are you supposed to feel that exploitation is the best you can LGBTIQ get? LGBTIQ rights are black rights. We have always been here. Black queers, we will always be here. And before we begin, we'll be doing an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the Kulin people as the owners on the land on which we meet and pay respects to their elders past, present and future. This land was never ceded in the process of colonization, occupation, incarceration and genocide that began over two centuries ago continue to this day. Welcome, you're listening to, to Race Card and... Uh, this week, it's been a, it's actually, no, it's been a few weeks, <laughs> maybe a few months. Um, and this uh, some, this week, we're going to be talking to uh, Beverly Wang. And Beverly is a journalist and executive producer of Radio National's flagship program, R&Drive. Drive. So thanks for coming on the podcast, no uh, problem. Beverly. No it's a pleasure. Yeah. And, and also, like, um, something I really want to talk to you about is your upcoming podcast, Yes, very exciting. It's called It's Not a Race. Um, It's a podcast that I pitched really almost a year ago um, to RN and it had to go through the processes and get pitched and I made a pilot and then I had to try to figure out when in my work schedule we could break away so I could make the series. And so it's almost been a full year since that ball started rolling and we're now in production mode and launching very soon. Yeah, I guess like, um, what? Why do you think it's taken? Well, not not particularly ABC, but I'm more in sense like a mainstream sort of um, media or body to to actually start a conversation. Like, well, it's it's radio national, so a national conversation. Yeah. Um, about race, identity, culture in Australia, in, in I guess a podcast forum. Oh well. It's sort of technical, but the reason why it's a podcast is because it was pitched to a, a, pod, a digital funding project. And so that's just kind of um, a structural thing. It's not any kind of statement I think about. And I'm not taking it that way about it's not on air. It's only on digital. Because I think... The oh, no, I don't mean... I, I, that's not yeah. necessarily what I'm talking... I'm, I'm more in a sense, I guess, why do you think um, there hasn't been a series like it before? I guess, particularly in a podcast form. Yeah, well... This is a this is specifically targeted in the name and the, and the concept, and you know I don't really know why because when I pitched it it was very it was very well received. It could be that we are at a time now where we recognize. I mean, we've heard um, managing director Mark Scott say on the record before that he thought that the ABC is too white. We know that Michelle Guthrie is very very um, um, pro diversity, and I know behind the scenes that that's a conversation that we 
we try to have a lot in terms of the talent we get on Drive and also what are our hiring practices and what are the audiences that we're aimed at. So on Drive, we are thinking about this all the time. I think about it all the time as, as you know, an Asian person, as a person of color. Um, and maybe there is something in the air. Maybe there is something in the current zeitgeist that says, let's have this conversation. I feel like a lot of people who are younger than me have a lot of confidence about talking about who they are as well. So maybe that time is ripe and there's a lot of people out there in the world like um, Santila Jingaipe and Amir Rachman and people like that who are having this conversation as well. Um, so, but I also think that we, at the ABC, we do, we do try to have diversity. You know, it's not perfect. I don't think anybody's saying that we're kicking 100% goals there. And, you know, you look at the lineup and you look at who works inside the ABC. And of course, it's not reflective of um, contemporary Australia. I'm not, you know, that's not a kind of some big revelation. We know this publicly and it's out on the record. Um, but I think there have been series like Sammy Shaw's podcast series doesn't talk about race and identity, but it's talking about being Muslim in Australia. Well, there's a topic that, you know, covers that and there are specials. Um, so in terms of why, those are just a few thoughts, but, uh, you know, I'm just really excited that, that I get to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess I want to talk about you for a moment. Okay. Just like, so obviously you... Do you uh, didn't grow up in Australia? No, I didn't. I, I guess everyone can kind of tell with your, you your accent. Yeah. And and before they're thinking, oh, she's Amer no, she's not American. No, no, but you know, uh, <laughs> I'm absolutely okay with being mistaken for American. I know that there's some sensitivity, and people sometimes say, oh, I could tell you're not American, but I'm sort of calling bs on that can i swear <laughs> on this podcast yeah you can okay, swear I'm, I'm calling bullshit on that because i think people can't really tell the difference between american and canadian there's this thing about oh canadians will be offended if you call them american i don't have that problem because i grew up in vancouver right along the u.s border i feel like american culture is very much a part of my life i went to grad school in the states i've got a lot of family and friends my best friend my sister they all live in the states so to me it's not a problem and i feel like also the asian american experience and the culture i really strongly identify that with that even though i'm canadian because there is a massive asian american um movement pride you know pride that has been built up over generations and for me when i discovered that that was really empowering. So I don't personally have an issue with being mistaken for American. <laughs> I haven't got a problem with it. I'm Canadian. I know I'm Canadian. I spent time in the States. I lived in the States. I worked in the States. It's okay. I'm cool with it. So I guess talk to me about um, some of... You talked about how you've really resonated with that Asian American movement. I feel like that's a, a growing conversation in the States particularly, but not necessarily in Australia, but... Which yeah. strange when you think about it, ten percent of Australia, I'm almost certain, um, um, come from a Asian descent. Like I'm, I'm almost yeah. certain about that. Well, I mean, the histories are quite different, right? In Canada and the United States, um, yeah. Well, let me think about that. There were laws that excluded Asians from, um, and I'm don't quote me, but there were laws that you know from full participation in society let's say laws about property where they could live um you know head taxes that kind of thing so that kind of stuff did happen i guess though in canada and the states there wasn't 
the official, you know, white Canada or white USA policy like Australia did. So that means that there's a swath of decades here in Australia where there wasn't a lot of Asian migration. Um, and I think it's numbers too. There's just so many more people in yeah. the United States. There's probably about 10 million more people in Canada. Um, so the way I guess I discovered Asian America as a Canadian, Taiwanese Canadian kid growing up in Vancouver is that one of my very best friends um, is Chinese American many generations back. And I met her when in grade seven. And to me, meeting her was really eye-opening because I had, even though my most of my parents' friends, they're all Taiwanese, they're uh, first-generation immigrants just like, just like me. So I had this assumption that oh, every Asian person I see around me in Vancouver is going to be like me, you know, one generation uh, immigrant background, that's it. So when I met my, my very good friend, Laura, whose family had come, had just moved to Canada, but whose family had been in California for hundreds of years, whose parents per spoke perfect English, you know, went to college in California, and I saw these pictures of, like, her parents, like, being hippies and everything, just like everybody else. That was really mind-blowing for me, that there's, like, oh, there's another way to be Asian here, and they're right here. So that was really eye-opening to me. And then, you know, educate, going to university and reading more books. But to kind of realize that there is a world, of a diaspora world, a really strong um world you're not alone was interesting to me so even though I'm Canadian I do strongly really really relate to anything kind of Taiwanese American Asian American because that is more is bigger and more fully developed and that th it, that's coming up in Canada too but that was the precedent that I was exposed to first why did you um come to work in Australia Oh, well, that's my husband's Australian, so it's, <laughs> it's kind of a common story. A lot of people, that's like when you ask people, why did you come to Australia not from Australia? In very, I think that's one of the most common answers. Oh, my wife is Australian. My husband's Australian. It's not like that. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, um, what do you, I guess, what do you find, I guess, differences working, living in both Canada and America and now in Australia in terms of, because your podcast is obviously about, I guess, discussions about race, identity and culture. Mm -hmm. In Australia. In Australia. Yeah. How does that, how has your experience in Australia differed? This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, say, from just broadly North America. Yeah, that's a very good question. I have to think about that because now I've been here for eight years. If you had asked me that question eight years ago, I could have told you, like, right away, these are the differences. But now that I've acclimated, it's a bit harder to kind of discern. But... Um, I think going back to that answer that what I've just said about Asian America that the diaspora groups the minority groups in Australia haven't got the same history the same confidence the same um I guess platform like they have in Australia as they have like in comparison um I think there is probably not as much racial integration. I think Australia is, you know, it is a multicultural country, but I think 
Um, like one of the first, here's an example. When I first moved to Australia, I say that a lot. I sound like an old lady, but um, <laughs> uh, I actually was really confused when I would see on the news conversations about people saying multiculturalism has failed, right? I found that actually really confusing that that was a conversation people were having because growing up in Canada, in a sense, I guess we were brainwashed to really be pro-multiculturalism. I feel like that is, if you talk to any Canadian, they will really proudly talk about how Canada is a multicultural country. Whether you're white, whether you're Asian, I think most people feel quite proud about Canada being multicultural. And we talk about it with pride. And I know because there's cheesy YouTube videos talking about Canada and they're always like, multicultural, yay. Just um, Trudeau. Yeah, well, even before that. But yes, yeah. that's another example <laughs> of that of that thing. And his father, Pierre Trudeau, who was a prime minister before him in the you know late 70s, 80s, um, was one of the champions of multiculturalism. So I grew up in that era where it was like, you know, I'm Taiwanese Canadian. I'm a hyphenate Canadian, and that that's fine. And and then I, I feel like, and I hope I'm not the only one, but I felt like I there was more of a space to be. Of course, there is racism. Where are you from? All that kind of stuff doesn't leave you if you're a person of color. But there was also more space to kind of think and be like, well, this is my version of Canadian, and your version of Canadian, and your version of Canadian. That's okay that we can have different versions of Canadian, right? So when I came here. And there would be commentary in the media about, is multiculturalism a failure? I actually was genuinely confused. I didn't know what people were talking about because I thought, what's the failure? People getting along? Like, is, it, is, is the failure that we've been telling people to get along of different cultures and backgrounds and races, and that's a wrong thing to do? Like, I really just was really dumb about it, and I didn't get it. And then later on, I think I started to realize, oh, okay, what we're talking about is um, migration, from other countries people are saying they think that's a failure There's, it's about so I had to kind of make those connections the more time I spent working in the media has been really helpful for that and you know kind of absorbing the Australian kind of zeitgeist conversation so I guess that's does that answer your question a little bit I guess but I because I, I always hear this interesting thing when I hear about um, people coming over from whether it be Canada, the UK, or the US, yeah. and there's just this. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Amr Rahman, has a funny little uh, little um, comedy uh, uh, sketch um, saying that <laughs> even the white people that come from the UK, Canada, and the US are embarrassed by the racism <laughs> of Australia. You remember the blackface sketch on Hey Hey? And that was uh, that was around the same time that uh, Sam Newman called Serena Williams a monkey on the footy show. And uh, I was so angry. I was like, what is wrong with this country? Man? Like Australia, Australia is like a weird twilight zone, right? Like, like things happen in Australia that the rest of the world decided was racist like 50 years ago, right? <laughs> Australia is so racist, other white countries are embarrassed by us. <laughs> like if all the world's white countries were a family, Australia would be like the bucktooth redneck hillbilly cousin that doesn't get invited to Christmas dinner, right? Just for being such a jackass. Don't you call me a racist. I love Chinese food. That's Australia. Hmm. My first episode of It's Not a Race is about blackface. Yeah. Okay? See, that's, 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 yeah. that's, that's, that's something that I think that still puzzles people who are not from Australia. 100%. And that's why my pilot to kind of showcase what I could do in a podcast was about that because 
you know, I got the green light. They said, make a pilot. And I was like, what will I do? And I was like, and I just came to my head, Australia, we need to talk about blackface. Yeah. And now I've developed that into the first episode of It's Not a Race because I came here in 2009 and that was the same year that the Hey Hey It's Saturday blackface skit happened. And when that happened, it blew my mind because I honestly couldn't understand that that had got up on TV and then, you know, the kind of the bashing of Harry Connick Jr. for speaking up about it and the conversation about whether it was okay and, you know, American culture versus Australian culture don't try to tell us what to do because Americans rejecting blackface, that's American culture and Australian culture, we still think it's okay. I mean, that made my head crazy. I didn't understand at all, yeah. like, how is this happening? These countries look very similar, right? Multicultural, English-speaking, Commonwealth, all of that stuff, and it was not... But this was a very clear example of this is where we part ways, right? Yeah. And so is that what you're talking about? Like, it really, yeah. I just like, didn't understand that in the 21st century, on commercial TV, you know, everything from the the producer to the director to everything, all the gateways that you have when you're making a commercial TV, they're like, yeah, Jackson John, <laughs> blackface, bring them <laughs> on. Not a problem. Like, I just, it, it blew my mind. And so for me... That's where I wanted to kind of establish myself also in the in the podcast. Like, this is where I'm coming from looking at race in Australia. That there are these differences. And because I come from somewhere else, and I have a slightly different perspective. Like, let's kind of explore this together. Let's talk about this together. Let's take it apart together. Let's not always also only talk about racism. Let's talk about the experiences of people of color in a safe space, in an open space, um, and share those stories. Hmm. Um Look, I'm, I don't know. What uh, was so that experience like? The blackface? No, the I, blackface? Guess, I guess just cr- creating that I feel creating like that I've space. learned oh. so much talking to people. People have been so generous. I remember, because I'm normally a producer on Drive, and so I realized that I really enjoy that job, but I was also um, not having to actually face the person and have the conversation with them. So when it came my time to book the interviews, I was, even though I, I have print journalism in my past, it's been a while since I have been the main driver of the content. You know, as a producer, yeah. you make it sing kind of behind the scenes, but you're not the actual the voice in the face and the person in the moment. Um, so I think I had a bit of anxiety because I hadn't done it in a while. And also I was calling people that, like, for example, Alice Pung. I read Unpolished Gem really early when I came to Australia. I loved it, thought it was fantastic. And so I thought of her when I was starting to get the guest together for the podcast. And I called her and I started to introduce myself. And she said yes to me even before I had finished my first sentence. (laughs) And here was somebody who I had admired from afar and thought, what a wonderful writer. She's just got a fantastic voice. And then I was talking to her on the phone and she was saying yes. And I thought, people are so generous. They really, um, especially on this topic, I think, want to share. Why do you think that is? Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Because it is something, as a person of color, and I don't think of myself at all as oppressed or, you know, in strife. People have it way harder than me. But still, as a person of color, in my experience, we all know that growing up, you internalize so much, you observe so much, um, you feel so much, especially as a child of immigrants and you see also the way maybe your parents 
aren't given the respect in the world and how do you deal with it? How do you grapple that with as a kid and growing up and all of that stuff? It really becomes a big part of you. Like you have to develop a radar, right? What's going on? What's the situation? Where do we fit in? Do you, you know what I'm yeah, saying? You're nodding yeah. your head, right? Oh, def- oh yeah. definitely. Right. It's just that like so being conscious we, of space. Yeah. And so when we, and also the experience of having people deny you that truth, yeah. right? Of people saying, first of all, oh, it, it, they're just words, not a big deal. So you're like, as a child, you're unempowered because you are a child, right? And all, and then you're doubly disempowered because your observations as a child are being discounted because there are other factors at play because people want to deny racism for their own, you know, comfort. And, and also, you right? don't understand it. Yeah. In, you you feel you don't something, have the tools to but talk you don't about have it. the language. Absolutely, as well. you don't have the tools, and your parents probably don't have the tools either because they're busy, you know. And so, I think going back to your question about why people want to talk about it is because. It's in all of us. It's in all of us. We want a place to share, and we want the stories to get out. And 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 I guess to um, try to get a bit of acknowledgement and understanding. You know, this communion, mm. it's a sense of communion and relating. And just, you know, I had Alison and your friend Amr and, and Santilla Chingabe in, in conversation and I almost want, I was looking across from them from the presenter's desk and I just was like, this is beautiful. I love this, that they're here. And at the end of, they probably don't know this, but at the end of the interview, I walked them down to the um, foyer of the ABC and they were all just standing, we're talking and could feel like, we just like, we're just really enjoying like being together and relating. I almost wanted to hug them, but I was like, <laughs> don't be cool. Don't <laughs> put your arms around these three people. <laughs> but it's just that feeling, right? It's just, yeah. That, yeah. Well, I guess... Well, I just want to know, because I don't know, whenever you have, I don't know, I just feel like sometimes when you have an interview mm-hmm. and say you're talking about something like, something as sort of significant as race, something, mm-hmm. do you feel that, have you felt doing the project that you felt you're recounting or remembering things that you hadn't thought about for a while? Yes, I think so. I was actually thinking about this today because I've moved so much and... You know, I only came to this country with two suitcases, so <laughs> I don't have a lot of the mementos from growing up. I don't have a lot of stuff with me. And I think, and because I've moved so much, I feel like I've kind of got used to just not thinking about the past very much. It's kind of in the present, doing whatever mm. I am, not getting preoccupied by the past. So I had to kind of dig deep and think, oh, yeah, you know, those feelings I had when, a ki- when I was a kid. Um, oh, yeah, I, I remember that feeling of, being angry or how is it that I feel the way I am now versus the way I felt about all of this stuff 10, 15, 20 years ago. So, cause it's a journey. So I think so. And I'm learning so much from so many people, first of all, their insights, their pain, their fight, but also like the things that I think, for example, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, in, in the second episode of it's not a race, we look at the movie Jetta. Have you heard of Jetta? No. It's the first feature film ever to star two indigenous people in the main roles. And it's the first color film Australia ever made. And it's the last film of Charles Chevelle, who is a really famous director. And it was the first Australian film to go to Cannes. So it's got all these really significant firsts to it. But for me, um, Alan Clark, who used to be at BuzzFeed and at NITV now, mentioned it to me in because I talk, was talking about blackface. And he says, until we saw Jetta, we thought everybody that we saw 
uh, whose indigenous on screen was in blackface. So that got me really interested, and I started watching it. The first time I watched it, I was like, this is the most racist movie I've ever seen. I can't believe it. This is super racist. I couldn't, like, I was uncomfortable the whole time I was watching, and I couldn't get past how racist I found it. And then I spoke to the star of the film, Rosalie Cunoth Monks, and I said, is it racist? Because that was my prism. And she said, no, I don't think it's racist. And her explanation, I'm going to summarize quite broadly, but was that every day we were treated like savages. And so to be portrayed as a savage on film, first of all, wasn't a big leap for us. We're like, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. And second of all, though, she read it differently. She read the, the narrative, the indictment of the stolen generations and forced assimilation. Mm. And I saw that too, but not in the same way because I couldn't get past the, the dated dialogue right mm. and so for me that was what loomed large and then she said that to me and I was like that's really interesting then I watched it again and I don't know if it's good or bad or not but then I was like oh it's not as crazy racist as I thought it was I see that other narrative coming through and I see how there is actually a current in that narrative which is critiquing all of that and that would have been revolutionary for that time even not to say that it's held up hundred yeah. percent but I could identify that and I could see that and that was Rosalie po- Rosalie's point as well because she could also see that it was a critique of the stolen generations mm. so I have learned a lot it's really interesting yeah that's interesting because like I guess like when we're having conversation we don't think about that how dated these conversations will be but I guess the thing about that movie Jetta is it's a it's like an entry point into a conversation that continues absolutely totally exactly right yeah so i I guess with the um with the show Mm -hmm. what were what were some of the things that you were thinking about as in like oh that show that um i don't know for example a show that's off my top of my head like code switch yeah they do really they do x really well Mm -hmm. or another show does this very well were you looking and thinking in that way yeah you you know it's tricky right because on the one hand, I love those shows. I love Still Processing. I love Code Switch. Oh, Still Processing yeah. is just um, amazing. I really love Nancy. It's not about, it's about LGBTI issues, but because uh, they're Asian-American presenters, I, I feel like I yeah. can relate to them that way. And I just love that in their teaser episode, they're like, by the way, you were listening to Asians the whole time. thought we were white. That's on you. I just thought that was so <laughs> great. Um, this is, maybe you relate to this too. It's like, I all, I knew about them. I listened to them. I'm a listener, but... Sometimes I would get podcast anxiety because you just look and there's so many podcasts and you think oh, to yourself, yeah. oh my God, there's so many podcasts. Who's going to listen to mine? It's just one drop in this giant ocean. Who is going to have the time? There's so many podcasts. People yeah. can make them in their bedrooms. And so I'd have this anxiety. I kind of went between like, listen to them, but don't listen to them. Listen to them, but don't listen to them. Like, if you don't know, then you can't be accused of copying. Yeah, <laughs> but then I came to this kind of realization. It's like, it's not a new idea. Yeah, you've been doing it before me. It's not a new idea. It's just on your varying approach. levels of degrees. Oh, <laughs> come on, just take it. Just take it. Um, it's just it's and it, and it's okay that it's not a new new idea because the more we talk about it, the better. The more space we have for it, the better. Like you said earlier, it's quite a first for the ABC. So that's fantastic. Um, and and just kind of like this is a cliche, but run your own race. Yeah. Be true to yourself. Be true to the production values. Think hard about how you do it. Um, and uh, you know, just 
work hard. That's <laughs> my immigrant. Just work hard. Just work hard. Just be okay. Just keep working. <laughs> work hard. Ah, uh, thanks for coming on. No like problem. I've, I've really enjoyed it because I um because I just think that it's a a really good sort of entry point into I guess discussions that people have been wanting to have for a while that have felt sometimes stilted, but other times like there's um some momentum. Like I, I guess people usually think of as progress as like this very you know linear sort of um, progression, but sometimes I I don't know I, I guess like just in terms of just um, the last I don't know eighteen twenty four months mm-hmm. it just feels like it could just probably be more a sort of lumpiness of, of okay. peaks and troughs. Yep, yep. And then you have to zoom out. I think you're you were just you're just on the road, so you feel every bump. And yeah. you feel everything. And then later on, you kind of zoom out and you think, oh, actually, that's all right. Look how far we've come. Yeah. Yeah. And look how far we've come. Exactly. That's a the nice end. place to <laughs> end it. Uh, thanks again, Beverly. No problem. It was great. I loved it.